Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and in this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's our 200th episode. I've managed to pump out 200 of these suckers. Oh, crap. So, yeah, uh, we don't have a whole lot in the term in uh, terms of reviewing just because I've been preparing for this momentous occasion. And uh, so we've got reviews for the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons featured on HBO Max. Uh, full review of HBO Max next episode. And then uh, I got the chance to watch Misery because it was actually expiring from Hulu uh, this month. So uh, as we headed, in the, headed into June, Hulu let me know Misery was going to leave my, my queue. So I decided to finally check it out. And then our next our next entry in Patreon Corner, my buddy Mar wanted me to review their their second favorite movie, The Dark Crystal, and I and I raised I saw their uh, Dark Crystal and raised them the Netflix min- prequel series. So we're gonna talk about both of those. So let's get started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. I'm not going to lie, one of the things I was excited for HBO Max for was the new Looney Tunes cartoons. And uh, and I've all, as a... as a side treat for myself in the in between watching stuff for the show and taking care of other projects i've been actually revisiting some of the old looney tunes cartoons from the from the 40s and up through the 60s and all that and uh, i'll say this much i'll get into it more in my ne- in uh, next week's episode but hbo max does not have that extensive of a library for the looney tunes cartoons despite the fact that they're partially Oh, uh, uh, you know, owned and operated by Warner by Warner Media, who has the extensive library of their own short. Like, why aren't all of? I'm pretty sure all of Disney shorts, for the most part, are on Disney Plus. Like, why are you holding back from us? You have that extensive catalog. Give me a reason. Anyway, uh, this new stuff is produced by the creator of Uncle Grandpa. Uh, let me pull up his name. But yeah, basically, in order to um, commemorate this new, um, I guess it's technically started last uh, last year. Um, so this the short started last year, but they are officially hosted by HBO Max, and uh, it, it it's showrun by uh, the the where is he? Series director. What's the guy's name from Uncle Grandpa? Crap, let me pull up Uncle Grandpa. Get that guy's name. Uh, Peter Browngart. Yeah, who's... Wait, it says he's only a writer. Is he a producer or something then? Hold on, Peter Browngart. Yeah, it just says for some, for some reason it just says he's a writer? Producer, maybe? Executive producer for three episodes, so he's not, so he's only partially involved, huh? I thought for some reason I I swore um he was much more involved. At any rate, uh, so yeah, you've got a bunch of animation professionals being involved here. Um, apparently, one episode was written by Andrew Dickman, who if you're who like me, an old old fan of Channel Awesome, he used to be the uh title card artist for Phalus and he has now been a, and now he's been a uh, professional storyboarder and uh, cartoon writer and whatnot he's been involved in um, the animation industry for years now so good for you Dickman <laughs> rose up in the world uh, Ryan Kramer directed most of the episodes Ryan Kramer best known for Uncle Grandpa in the art department, as well as the Ben 10 reboot from 2016, and Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesome. So a guy who's mainly known for the art department, uh, stepping up and becoming a director after becoming a supervising... Okay, that's where it came from. The supervising director of Uncle Grandpa. So you got a couple of Uncle Grandpa alums. Um, Never watched that show. It seemed way too, like... It seemed like Doctor Who, but for really stupid kids. 
but I do hear some good things about it. So uh, I think since Cartoon Network stuff is on HBO Max, I'll uh, check it out at some point. At any rate, yeah, these new shorts are, there's there's 10 of them in total, and they are unlike uh, new Looney Tunes from uh, the early two, from the early part of the deck, from last decade, these seem to be much more geared towards the original um, 30s to 50s style of Looney Tunes shorts. Like, um, like the, you know, the, the premises are all very classic Looney Tunes stuff. You've got, um, well, they paired Porky Pig and Daffy Duck together again. So they're, they're duo most of the time. Bugs Bunny is facing off with Yosemite Sam and, El- and Elmer Fudd. Uh, Wile E. Coyote is, you know, chasing the Roadrunner. Tweety and Sylvester. Um, trying to think, uh. What else? Uh, there is a, there are a couple of shorts with D- just Daffy, um, but yeah, Daffy is much more in tune, in line with his original um, character. It, whereas starting with like Chuck Jones, Daffy became more of like the also ran the uh, Donald to Bugs's uh, Mickey, the one who's always kind of like second fiddle and he's always uh, aspiring for greater things. Uh, here he is, literally Daffy Duck. He's Daffy. He's crazy. He's you know he's a he's he is wacky. Whereas Bugs is more of a smart aleck, like, like he is. Um, well, so, but yeah, it and then Porky and Daffy. So Porky's the straight man to Daffy's you know wild card. Then you've got um, a couple of Marvin Mar- Marvin the Martian shorts as well. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the stuff. It's still fairly fun. Like, um, I will say it takes some getting used to the flat, this, uh, it seems to be, I don't know if it's specifically Flash or whatever Adobe's calling their program now, maybe Toon Boom, but that sort of really smooth animation. And when you're so used to the classic hand-drawn style of, um, cell animation, to see the Looney Tunes done more, and of course they've been doing this for a while now, so it's not all that new, but it's, it takes, I think it's a bit stilted in the way it's being presented. So it may get, pro- it's probably going to get a lot more fluid and a lot less stilted as they get more experience in doing this sort of, these sort of shorts. But yeah, they, they have a lot of the same style of humor. Like, um, there's, you know, when uh, Bugs is facing off against Yosemite Sam, it's always the subversion of expectations. Like, uh, one of the first, I think the first episode of this quote-unquote season, it features Bugs and Yosemite Sam having an arm wrestling contest in the Old West, and Bugs is just, like, constantly messing with Sam, you know, tickling his hand and, like, messing, you know, like, screwing around, and but then, you know, constantly beating him, so it's, it's a little, it's simple, it's not trying to be too, like, um, like, too heady, it's just simple shorts featuring the Looney Tunes, you know. But uh, Davy and Porky are firefighters who uh, go through the wackiness of trying to fight a fire. And uh, you know, Elmer has a pool in a hot summer, hot desert summer, and Bugs is constantly um, messing with him over it. Uh, there's one where it's uh, Yosemite is Siberian Sam, and uh, he's out in the Yukon and wants to turn Bugs into a hat. Um, they actually have a uh, Ralph um uh and Sam Ralph the sheepdog and Sam the ki- and Sam the wolf for a short so they brought back that character those characters for a bit so I'm really feeling um and of course there there is an episode with Bugs Bunny featuring Beaky Buzzard although they made Beaky Buzzard's mom like super Italiano hey there's a Beaky why don't you bring me a rabbit <laughs> which I think is just like because like. You get, she had the voice, but she never had, like, the full-on mannerisms of, like, Italian, Italian mama, I it's about the pizza. <laughs> it is, she's, like, super Italian in this iteration. But, um, yeah, a lot of the humor is in that original Looney Tunes shorts vein, much more so than the uh, new cartoons were, which I felt like they didn't get to feel like Looney Tunes shorts until the second season, and so I'm hoping that, like, once they bring in, like, Foghorn Leghorn and the Chicken Hawks and, like, um, maybe Pepe Le Pew? They may be, because uh, the, the last iteration had Pepe as, like, a, an, a spy 
to kind of co- uh, compensate for the fact that he's essentially, you know, uh, you know, hash- the Looney Tunes hashtag Me Too character. But um, I don't know. They may try to un- they may try to uh, modernize him a bit, make him like. Um, really, ro- he thinks he's romantic, but he's not touchy feely. He's not so touchy feely. He's like all. He's just like oh, you know. He's trying to play the romantic, but it, it, the whole p- joke is that he think he is he is this romantic, and he thinks this. You know, he's trying to woo the the cat in this case, but instead of being all touchy feely and kissy on her, he instead is just trying to woo her with like gifts and you know, like you know, like. Uh, uh, play playing like a Don Juan kind of character without ever act without well, you know without touching her, and it's just his scent is overpowering her, and so it's the joke is that he's you know he he has no he has no, he's so used to his scent that he has no uh, <laughs> understanding of how it's affecting others, so he's not wooing this girl's uh, heart by by being around you know no matter how hard he tries I don't know there's a way you can do uh, Pepe Le Pew without him being that, you know, as bad as he was back in the day. Um, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's a way you can handle Pepe Le Pew now. Because I feel like you, you, they should also bring back Speedy Gonzalez. Because much as people say, oh, he's a, you know, white people were saying, oh, he's an offensive stereotype. Most Mexican, you, know, you talk to most Mexicans and uh, uh, Latinx and Hispanic uh, people. Well, not most, but, you, you know, you there's a definite fan base of Speedy in that community because they saw him as representation, especially because he's essentially like a super fast version of Bugs Bunny. Like that's, that's what he is. <laughs> you know, it, it may seem like an awful stereotype, but the whole point is that he's, you know, this Mexican version of Bugs Bunny and he, he outwits the cat, he outwits Sylvester or whoever it is at the time, uh, whoever he is facing off against. And he's always come, always comes out on top. So they should absolutely bring him back. So we'll see. Hopefully there's going to be more shorts um, uh, through HBO Max, and I hope they get the chance to, like, really, you know, encompass so much of the old Looney Tunes universe. Bring back Duck Dodgers, bring try try their hand at some of those, like, Duck Amuck or Rabbit Rampage sort of fourth wall breaking episodes. You know, maybe make it one where it's Bugs and Elmer are being screwed with by the animator, by the animation software or something like that. There's ways you can do it. So I'm very interested. And they did that for the new Looney Tunes. And I really, I'm interested to see how the folks here would handle it. But yeah, um, I I, I would also be remiss uh, if I didn't admit that there is a bit of John Kay influence in some of the... Uh, shots. You can definitely see it in like a lot of the close-up shots. They feel like a lot of Ren and Stimpy. Not like the disgusting like still shots, but like a lot of the fluidity and like manicness of like there's a there's a shot of Tweety close up that and he's blinking that looks like it could have been drawn by John Kay or the um in the short where uh Sylvester thinks he's being haunted by Tweety. Uh, he, you know, there's a sh- couple shots in there that look like they could have been drawn by John Kay if John Kay, well, could finish things. Anyway, um, so yeah, th- I recommend the, uh, Looney Tunes cartoons over on HBO Max. I'll get into a more, uh, in-depth review of the service next episode. But yeah, uh, highly recommend those shorts. I had fun with them. Uh, they're not, I will say... You know, they're not going to replace the originals. Those originals are just so iconic. But it's nice to have something trying to do that. You know, like, there's a whole episode of... It's just a whole single short of Daffy Duck fighting with street gum. Like, a a wad of chewed up bubble gum on the street. And he's just tearing apart it with it because he's fighting with this freaking gum. So, I mean, like, there's... it's, It's fun. It's fun. Uh, and then, yeah, I watched, I finally watched Misery, and, uh, oh boy, yeah, um, Annie Wilkes is the, uh, kind of quintessential, uh, example of a stan outside of the, a guy from, from the Eminem song to bear his name, you know, to bear the name, you know, to bear the name of it, so yeah, you've got Stan from Eminem, and then I think you kind of got Annie Wilkes, who is like, <gasps> oof. Just, yeah, that is not the kind of fan you want around. Um, So, yeah, I do like, you know, I think it's one of Stephen King. I have to read the book. But, yeah, this movie is honestly one of the higher echelon of King adaptations. Um, 
And I think part of it is just because of um, Kathy Bates' performance. Just like, your first time you're introduced to her, you can tell she's a bit of an obsessive fangirl. But she seems so genuine and sweet. And then all that starts to curl as she slowly shows how mad she is. You know, you know, mentally unstable and like murderous and just like, un, you know, it, oh, oh, it's so good. And so like, yeah, uh, she's a great, it's a great introduction to her. You think, oh, she's just a sweet, you know, woman out in the wilderness who, you know, did the right thing and helped save this guy. And then you slowly begin to realize, oh, yeah, she's not all there. And then by the time, you know, you finally get, you finally catch on. Uh, she's just absolutely, you know, she starts to become absolutely murderously protective of this fictional character, which if you've been on the internet, yeah, there's a lot of people who are just, you know, shades of gray, a different from Annie Wilkes, but who have the same mentality. Oofa doofa, yeah. Um... But yeah, I think it's a really well, like, I think it's Rob Reiner who directed this, and it it really is one of the best um, Stephen King adaptations, for sure. You know, just James Caan struggling, you know, trying to deal with this crazy fan who has kept him bedridden, first because he was in an accident, and then because she is actively keeping him bedridden. And, you know, the hobbling scene, you know, is iconic for a reason, uh... And, of course, the fact that she, it, you know, introduces the hobbling scene is like, you know, when the slaves working in the diamond mines tried to run away, the slave masters would do this kind of thing. I love you, Paul. Oh, God. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, and, of course, the fact that um, Andy Wilkes, uh, you think of her as an obsessive fan, but a lot of time, but part of it is also another Stephen King trope. She's a crazy, wacko, conservative Christian. And once again, you know, there's a lot of that in Stephen King's writings. And here it's like, here it uh, kind of showcases itself by having Annie being really, um, like, 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 that's the thing. If Annie, like, if Annie was a mentally stable person... She kind of has the same personality as my mom a bit. Uh, has conservative values, uh, does not like filthy language, and, you know, it, it, it's just a, and sweet, and, and for the most part, is sweet and caring, uh, but she does have a temper. Um, thankfully, my mom <laughs> is not like Annie Wilkes in, uh, any, in any other regard. <laughs> Oof. Uh, happy birthday to my mom over the, uh, over the weekend, though. Happy birthday, mama. <laughs> You're like, you're like the Kathy, you know, you're like killer Kathy Bates in misery. I love you, mom. Um, but yeah, like the fact that she is this overbearing, like she's now forcing Paul to, you know, not write anything else. He should only write what she wants him to write. And after reading his latest book, she demands that he write a whole new one, bringing back her favorite character from the dead. Otherwise, you know, she's going to literally torture him. You know, it, it really is just like an encapsulation of every creator's worst night, worst fan night, fan interactions. You know, the fact that you can't, no matter what you try to do as a creator, they feel ownership of the character and demand to have you do make it, make, you know, make their stuff canon. It's so much of this has become part of internet culture that it's just it's so creepy to think about. Um, I think what's also interesting is that. Like, the major police uh, outlet, because the whole thing is, like, thankfully they don't make it so that Paul is just, like, not being looked for. He is being looked for, but the um, state police decide that, eh, he probably just died out in the woods and we'll have to wait till, the, wait till spring to find his body. Meanwhile, the, sh the local sheriff is the one who's actually paying attention to the clues and doing actual police work. <laughs> so, I'd be like, I think, I think that's another Stephen King trope where, like, for the most part, cop the cops are like, eh, pfft. We did our job. That's eh, probably this. And you go, don't, don't, don't bother me. Quit bothering me, kid. <laughs> don't bother me with this nonsense. I, 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 I don't, I don't have time to deal with this. So to have somebody who actually, you know, wants to solve the case. Yeah, that, you know, there's always that one person who's like actually wanting to solve the case while everyone else is like, eh, just assume this happened and be done with it. Um, 
Yeah, it, it really... And, of course, I think the nice part is... Um, well, spoiling too much. Um, but, I mean, this is, like, a th- almost what? Uh, this is a, th- a 20-year-old movie. Uh, 21 this year. Um, you know, part of the torture is that his... Um, his new manuscript, the one that he's, that he's trying to tie into his own personal history, like as a kid growing up in, in like the slums and the things he had to deal with there. Um, and, and he forces him to burn it because he, she doesn't like the potty language in it. And she thinks she's better than that. You're better than that, Paul. You should write only what I want you to write, Paul. And yeah, I think the fact that She's an obsessive fan, but like he like the, there's the scene where he's getting her to leave the house by saying, you know, this is the wrong kind of paper stock. He has a point. Like the paper stock she got is the wrong kind for typing out manuscripts on a typewriter. And she gets all up in his face and slams the slams the paper stock on his broken legs because because he's not being you know he's not being nice enough to her jesus woman get over yourself god she really is just like the worst kind of fan uh every fan base has an annie wilkes hopefully just not as murderous but that mentality is always there and you see it a lot and that's why we call them stands because Eminem put a word to it, and we just adopted that. Annie Wilkes is a stand for misery, and she tortures the the creator in order to get her way. Oh God. Uh. But yeah, the the scene I like is that the fact that um, Annie forces Paul to burn his heart, you know, heartfelt personal manuscript outside of the misery series, and so um, the climax centers around Paul. Be, you know, turning that around, and his his manner, his means of escaping Annie is by taking this this manuscript for the new and uh, the new misery book, and like, hey, I learned it from watching you, and bur- you know, burning it because you know she's crazy, and you you know you're not gonna give her what she wants. You're gonna get the hell out of there. So yeah, um, it also really wanted me started seeing this sort of writer and the writing process, albeit, you know, as part of a, you know, prisoner, you know, a, a, a kidnapped victim, um, it did make me kind of get those creative juices flowing and wanted to get my own creative works, um, my writing, my writing ideas and prompts and all that to kind of get, start getting those down. So I think once things start to settle down on my creative end of things, then I can, I'll try to get my, try to, you know, flex those muscles again, see if I can't write, you know, get some things written down. But, uh, yeah, Misery, uh, I don't know where it's, uh, playing now. Let's check. Um, let's see. Um, Misery. It, oh, 1990. So it turns 20 this year. 30. Turns 30 this year. It's not... Okay, it moved to HBO Max. So it's over on HBO Max now. Um, once again, highly recommend Misery. It is absolutely phenomenal. So yeah. Uh, that's all of the major reviews I got this weekend. I got in this week. And so we're going to take on a trip over to Patreon Corner. And now a stopover on Patreon Corner. Once again, shout out to my first patron, Mar, who was an old friend of mine from back in the day. And, and if you want to be like them and, uh, you know, support the show while also having stuff that you like or maybe don't like. If you want me to review a thing, then, you know, all you have to do is donate as little as $1 a month to my to patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, and so for this week, I covered The Dark Crystal, and I really liked this. You know, I always kind of, like, had it in a special place in my heart, but rewatching it, it just... I wish Jim... Like, Jim Henson... There's, like, a subset of the Jim Henson company that just did effects work. Because I know they kind of did that with, like, the, tur- the Ninja Turtles live-action movies. I just wish it was more prominent. I wish more studios would take advantage of the Henson Company and their puppetry and stuff. Because it, it is... it Most of this holds up so fantastically well because of the great puppet design and um, 
you know, practical effects. It just, oh, it's so glorious to watch and behold. It's like almost like a Tim Burton-esque fantasy world. And and it's so dark and gothic and twisted, and I love it. However, the biggest problem with The Dark Crystal is the story. And um, it's a bit convoluted because a lot of high fantasy stuff feels like they need to world build and do these epic things like Tolkien would and come up with all of these things, you know, words for all the crazy creatures out there. And that's a lot of work for not a lot of payoff, ultimately. Because that's the thing is um, uh, all that work into the production design, into the creature naming, the lore, all of that doesn't really play out on screen all that much. Like, that's great for supplemental material. Like, that's the reason, like, Tolkien's, you know, part of the problem with Tolkien is that he was a mythology and, you know, English professor. So he had a, he had all of this working knowledge of myths and legends and world-building from, like, a mythological standpoint. And so he implemented that in his writing, and it's very dense, like you're reading a English essay. You know, like you're, re- like you're taking lessons from an Oxford English professor, because that's what it is. But um, I think people mistake that sort of level of detail as necessary. And I think, like, trying to explain everything about your world is a lot for an audience. And if they're not hooked, they then you're boring them to tears. I think it's the problem with a lot of high fantasy stuff is they feel like they need to over-explain their universe! And it ultimately ends up just, you know, kind of, go, you know, just like, okay, this, uh, don't need to pay attention to this. You know, because not everybody's going to pay, only, like, the super nerds like me are going to get really into it. So I feel like you need the best way to go about high, you know, fantasy stuff is to make it a lot more accessible. Not not necessarily make it like modernized, but just like shorthand, you know? You don't need to explain everything. It just just, you know, having a basic under, you know, have, giving people basic understanding of how the universe works without explain I will say this doesn't explain everything like some fantasy movies do, but it does feel like like the fact that there's a massive narration dump at the beginning to explain the world. You know, comparing it to, once again, comparing it to Tolkien, but that, but the way I think the difference is um, for the movie adaptations, um, uh, Peter Jackson, for some reason his name slipped my mind, uh, he made it cinematic. Whereas here, it's more like, here's all the big information dump thwomp. You know, it's Annie Wilkes dropping the narration on your on the audience's broken legs. But, um, yeah, I will say the story in the world is... Like, it's it's basic, you know, Campbellian ar- you know, plot arc. You know, it's this mythical creature, the Gelfling. God, the Gelfling are all... The one thing I don't like about this entire franchise is the fact that the Gelfling just don't look right. They don't... They look like they're not finished. <laughs> you know, like, the term, it turns... They look like the 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 face part of the puppet isn't done yet it's it's like okay uh we'll wait for like the wrinkles and the de- de- and the details to show up later it's like, it's like uh we don't have time so it's just like hag have a dead face so yeah the gelflings they're better in the than the series i'll give it that but like the gelfling puppets were the ones that always got me the wrong way um if anything they may have been better off just uh coming up with you using a human character for that uh bit i don't know um but yeah uh the, the fact that the skexies are a wonderful group of villains the freaking pillbug stormtroopers that come in and destroy everything in like agra's uh home and then just every time they show up they just you can't stop them they're just like Kate, you know they're just like a force of nature coming in to destroying everything in their path it's wonderful but um, yeah, I think the the love. I think my my biggest criticisms are, I don't like the Gelflings. I think um, Jen, Jen and uh, I forget her name. The other Gelfling, Kira. I think Kira. Uh, I think their their love story is forced and and unnecessary. Like they feel like it's only there because they're the last two Gelflings. So you know, repopulate the the species or whatnot. Um. But yeah, it's it it really is um, 
you know, it's like that. The writing part is the part that needed more fine tuning. Like once that was more uh, better crafted and more interesting than the simple story, then it could have been even better for me. But, you know, I like it mostly because of the costuming, of the, the production design, the use of the sets and just, you know, the use of the world around them and, you know, all these cool creature design. Just like I love that attention to detail and stuff. So, yeah, uh, Dark Crystal, if you get the chance, it's not available in the U.S. outside of like rentals and whatnot. Maybe it's changed uh, since June. Let me check. You'd think Netflix would get that. Huh? Netflix? You think you'd pick that right up since, you know, you did the prequel series. Just saying. But yeah, US Netflix does not own the rights to the Dark Crystal for some reason. Um, at any rate, uh, the prequel. Now, the prequel series. It improved on the stuff I didn't like about the movie. The acting is top notch. You've got a star studded cast. Like literally, all of the voice cast they got for for this for this series is just a list talent. Uh, in case you missed it, let's rattle off some of the um, names attached to this this series. Uh, for starters, Chamberlain. The oh, by the way, Chamberlain's voice is just like nails on a chalkboard. He is the worst. God, I hate the Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, he's doing his whale voice. <laughs> um, but who is voicing the Chamberlain? Simon freaking Peg, and he nails it. Simon freaking, you don't recognize Simon Peg as a Chamberlain, and it blows my mind how that happened. Like, how did Simon Pegg just... How did Simon Pegg sound like the Chamberlain? I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'm doing my best there, but like, um, Taron Egerton is Rhea, the main hero of the, of the, of the series. Anya Taylor-Joy is Brea, who was one of the main, who was another one of the protagonists. You've got Jason Isaacs, who this year is playing his is one of the best parts of Scoob by playing Dick Dastardly as the Emperor. He he's fantastic. Um, Benedict Wong from Doctor Strange is an, is one of the major Skeksis. Gugu Mbatha-Ra is one of the most interesting and worst characters in terms of like I hate them. Gugu Mbatha-Ra, who is uh, probably best known for playing uh, Plumette in the live-action uh, Beauty and the Beast, but she was also Dido Elizabeth Bell in that uh, period piece um, movie, Beyond the Lights, Concussion. Uh, she's apparently slated for uh, to appear in Loki. Uh, and she's also on that Apple uh, show, The Morning Show, as Hannah Shinfield. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's, a, she's a great talent. I think she's French or maybe British. I'm not sure. But... Um, her character is basically the Joffrey of this. I call this, I describe this to my family as Jim Henson presents Game of Freaking Thrones. Because that's exactly what it is. But Keegan-Michael Key is one of them. Mark Hamill is the scientist. <laughs> and he's fantastic. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter is the all, it all, is kind of like the head of all the Gelfling. You've got Javi Feierstein is another one of the Gelfling. Aquafina is one of the Gel, not, uh, as one of the Skeksis. Aquafina is one of the Skeksis. Lena freaking Hetty from Game of Thrones is one of the, um, heads of the Gelfling clans. Toby Jones is a, is a recurring character. Mark Strong plays, um, Taron Edgerton's dad. Andy Samberg and Bill Hader show up at one point as a Skeksis and an Uru. Uh, the Uru don't really show up aside from one character. Um, but, uh, it's really, but yeah, it's, uh, just Eddie Izzard shows up for a couple episodes as a character. Natalie Dormer shows up once again, continuing with the, uh, the, uh, Game of Thrones cast just showing up because, oh, and the whole thing's narrated by Sigourney Weaver. So Alicia Vikander has a bit role in it uh, as well. Just the star studded cast here. It is fantastic. 
And yeah, I cannot recommend it enough just for that alone. Just to hear the cast bring this to life. Uh, Plus, there's a massive jump in production quality. This, uh, I think the one problem is that the CG kind of feels out of place when it's compared to the practical puppets. But for the most part, it kind of works because it all makes it feel like a cohesive universe. So it works kind of for the most part. But I feel like, yeah, it is it is a fantastic um, way to like modernize the look of the universe. And it presented in a way before it ultimately collapses into what we know as the original movie, The Dark Crystal. Um, but yeah, uh, Gugumbata Ra's character, Celadon, is essentially the, Joff- the Joffrey of this series. She is the absolute worst. Thankfully, uh, and she does get redeemed over the course of the season, but God, she is just the worst. And you like, you stupid Gelfling, just, God, you are the worst. And yeah, uh... Mother Agra appears as, like, this sort of avatar character, the one who's, like, in the main connection to Thra. And um, her, her whole bit in this is fantastic. I love Mother Agra. Um, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I think my biggest issue is... It's ten episodes. I feel like they could have done it in, like, eight. Like, there's a couple... Like, some... Mini, like, I feel like they do a bit too much trying to cram all of this story into a single season and you know into 10 episodes i feel like they could have eased back a bit and left some things to um play into because they do they don't end up at right where uh the dark crystal begins there's room for a second season if netflix chooses to do so but i feel like if they eased back a bit tried not to make it jim henson's game of thrones as much like, only did in, like, eight-episode chunks. I feel like that would have been better. I feel like, you know, trying to cram all of this into ten episodes. It's just like, oh, I feel like this is a lot. I feel like you didn't need to do this much, you know? I feel like if they if it was just, like, you know, little mini-seasons, eight episodes each, I feel like it would have been a lot better. But, I thought, but you know, I liked, I liked it a lot. Um, not as much as the original movie, but I did like it. And I'm interested to see if they do a follow-up because they let the the final episode does leave some interesting plot threads for the second season uh, should they get one. So yeah, uh, highly recommend both. Uh, I recommend the movie more so than the series, but that's just my personal preference. You may like the series more because it's more modern and it's got that more modern aesthetic to it. I'm more comfortable with the practical effects of the original movie, uh, although there, there's a lot of that in this as well. But I also love the cast more in the in the prequel series. It's all just really, really solid stuff all around. So yeah, uh, if you haven't already, go check both of them out because they're highly recommendable. So two great suggestions from Mar for Patreon Corner. And uh, next week's going to be interesting. Uh, oh, what did they suggest to me? Um, what did they give me? Uh, ba, 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 ba. Um, hold on, let me pull up my correspondence with them. Uh, there they are. It is, um, next week is gonna be a scanner darkly. One very underrated animated movie, uh, that I liked when it first came out. So I'm very interested to see if it holds up after 21 years, I want to say. 21 years, I want to say. Uh, so yeah. That's going to be next week on Patreon Corner. And if you want to be, or if you want to get your own stuff suggested uh, for me to cover, just go over to patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Little as $1 a month and you get to suggest stuff for me to cover on this show. As well as access to my uh, catalog, my 10 episodes each of Munch Along and Make a Better Movie. And if we want to try to bring those back as well, if I get enough people suggesting stuff for that, then... Um, because I feel like I don't want to. I want to make keep those as pa- patron exclusives, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so yeah, highly recommend uh, the Dark Crystal, both the series and the movie. And then um, yeah, we'll, we're going to take a look at a scanner darkly next week. So we're going to take a quick break, and I have something very interesting planned for the for the two hundredth episode. So see you in a bit, folks. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. I did have this planned. Uh, I didn't know what to do for a bit, and then I came up with the idea. This idea for the two hundredth episode. Um, IMDb normally goes up to two hundred fifty. Um, I may have. I, it may have been better to uh, save this for that. But uh, basically, I took the top two hundred rated movies on IMDb and decided to give my thoughts on them in ten words or less. Kind of going in the format of uh, Brandon Blaber's. Uh, opinion, you know, uh, you know, ver- uh, idea, uh, critiques, um, reviews of, uh, he did the Pokemon movies, the Disney animated movies, the DreamWorks movies, the Jubilee movies. It's kind of like that just for, um, uh, the IMDb top 200 movies of all time, uh, on the web, uh, as rated by the user base on IMDb. So this is as at the time of this recording, it's subject to change because a lot of them share a star ranking. So it may not be the exact thing you you pick when you um, load up the top 200, 250, but as of this recording, these are the top 200 rated movies on IMDb. So let's get this party started. The Popcorn Junkie presents IMDb's top 200 highest rated movies of all time in 10 words or less. Number 200, Sherlock Jr., Buster Keaton imagines he's in a Buster Keaton movie. 199. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Senator takes on the DC machine to build a campsite. 198. How to train your dragon. When do the SoCal kids get their Scottish accents? 197. The General. Buster Keaton's historical epic is worse than riding on Amtrak. 196. To be or not to be. Every actor's dream. Using stagecraft to fight Nazis. 195. Ford v. Ferrari. Nothing helps motivate you like spite. 194. Catch me if you can. Well, this was charming. Not very accurate, but charming. 193. Before sunrise. Can't wait for before moonrise in 2022. 192. Persona. Single Swedish female with images from Willy Wonka's tunnel. 191. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Man, isn't Wes Anderson just so quirky, you guys? 190. Hacksaw Ridge. Blowing up soldiers makes people tolerate Mel Gibson. 189. Gone Girl. Douchebag Mary's crazy. Now they're both miserable. 188. In the name of the father. Remember kids, whole cops are bastards. 187. The Big Lebowski. That rug really did tie the room together. Vagina. 186. Mary and Max. If only more autistic characters were written this well. 185. The Bandit. Call this one Once Upon a Time in Turkey. 184. And Hadhun. Two-hour comedy about assholes backstabbing each other. 183. Klaus. Nothing ends a civil war like Christmas. 182. Wild Tales. Life's pretty crazy, am I right? 181. Memories of Murder. Wait, South Korea's first serial killing was in 1986? 180. The Deer Hunter. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. 179. Tokyo Story. If your parents aren't awful, don't just abandon them. 178. Gran Torino. Clint Eastwood is a crotchety old man? Unbelievable. 177. The Third Man. What kind of monster makes a racket off bad penicillin? 176. Fargo. Gruesome murder is charming with a Minnesota accent. 175, Kill Bill, Volume 1. Interesting that Part 2 didn't make the list. 174, On the Waterfront. 
Turns out he wasn't a bum after all. 173, The Truman Show. No, this can't happen in real life, stupids. 172, Stalker. Future Russia's weird, man. 171, The Bridge on the River Kwai. So that's why Grandpa didn't like me watching anime. 170, Finding Nemo. This is what happens when you touch the butt, kids. 169, Blade Runner. Did we ever learn if androids dream of electric sheep? 168, Wild Strawberries. Sweetest of Christmas Carol is weird, man. 167, Room. Rubber City, represent! Now excuse me uh, while I go cry. 166, Gone with the Wind. Won't somebody think of the rich slave owners? 165, Jurassic Park. Somehow still the best in the franchise after 27 years. 164, The Thing. Maybe going to Antarctica was a bad idea. 163, The Sixth Sense. I see wasted potential in a future of bad movies. 162, Train Spotting. Don't do heroin, kids. 161, The Elephant Man. I mean, technically humans are animals, but point taken. 160, Warrior. Call this the Civil War because it's brother against brother. 159, Shutter Island. Island life will drive you crazy. 158, Inside Out. Pixar made me care about emotions? 157, No Country for Old Men. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened. 156, The Seventh Seal. Should have challenged death to Battleship. Maybe Clue. 155, V for Vendetta. Watered down Alan Moore comic inspires people to be assholes. 154, Chinatown. Forget it, junkies. Polanski's a child rapist. 153, dial M for murder. If I can't kill my wife, I'll frame her. 152, The Gold Rush. That's gold in them, the heels. 151, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. A CAB movie, but make it about Whitey. 150, my father and my son. So the moralists don't get involved in leftist politics? 149, there will be blood. I mean, there was blood, so no lies there. 148, judgment at Nuremberg. For the best Nuremberg movie, you can't find this anywhere. 147, the treasure of the Sierra Madre. The treasure was the friends we made along the way. 146, Raging Bull. Great movie about a pretty douchey guy. 145, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Remember when Guy Ritchie made really good movies? 144, The Wolf of Wall Street. Three-hour plea to give Leo an Oscar. 143, My Neighbor Totoro. Man, my neighbors were never this cool. 142, The Secret in Their Eyes. Not sure the procedural drama needed a romantic subplot. 141, Pan's Labyrinth. Spanish Alice in Wonderland is weird, y'all. 140, Casino. Well, they managed casinos better than Donald Trump. 139, A Beautiful Mind. That's not how schizophrenia works, but okay. 138, All About Eve. AKA, Single White Fangirl. 137, The Great Escape. Prison Escape. Nazi edition. 136, Hal's Moving Castle. Dodging the draft with magic. 135, Iran. Japanese King Lear is weird, y'all. 134, Some Like It Hot. Ends on a surprisingly progressive note for 1959. 133, Unforgiven. ASAB, All Sheriffs Are Bastards. 132, Downfall. Hitler's a better meme than a leader. 131, Children of Heaven. The things you'll do for a pair of shoes. 130, Green Book. White dude writes a movie about how his dad solved racism. 129, Batman Begins. Underrated superhero origin movie after being blown away by sequel. 128, Yojimbo. Remember that Pokemon episode with the exact same plot? 127, Come and See. Voina, huh. Dlaczego ita absolutnie niczego. 126. Rashomon. Everyone was right. From a certain point of view. 125. Die Hard. Remember when Eurotrash were the terrorists? Merry Christmas. 124. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Still the best interpretation of the Arthur mythos. 123. Heat. 
De Niro and Pacino together on screen for one scene. 122, L.A. Confidential. The LAPD, absolutely awful since 1869. 121, Up. Good Kids Movie starts with absolute heartbreak. 120, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Isn't it great that this was the last indie movie? 119, To Kill a Mockingbird. Set this in 2020 and it plays out the same. 118, Ansadi. Someone decided Flowers in the Attic wasn't crazy enough. 117, The Apartment. The things you do to climb the corporate ladder. 116, Double Indemnity. The moral? Don't help your clients commit insurance fraud! 115, For a few dollars more. Wait, why is the lead female character named Boy? 114, A Separation. Man, Iranian divorce proceedings are something else. 113, Metropolis. We're 10 years away from the workers finally rising up! 112, Ikiru. Life's pretty miserable, so have fun with it. 111, The Sting. The last time a good comedy won Best Picture Oscar. 110, Toy Story 3. Would this be here if not for the furnace scene? 109, Lawrence of Arabia. Historical accuracy? Screw that, we got a movie to make. 108, Amelie. Hello, I am Amelie, and I go on adventures. 107, Taxi Driver. Travis Bickle, an inspiration to angry white boys everywhere. 106, Scarface. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, man. 105, Singing in the Rain. Hey, some jukebox musicals can be good. 104, Snatch. Oodle Brad Pitt, he's your dry and Irish brogue. 103, The Kid. Rescue orphans and someday you might live in a mansion. 102, A Clockwork Orange. Nothing stops dangerous criminals like psychological torture. 101, North by Northwest. All that suspense to end on a corny sex joke. 100, Bicycle Thieves. Jesus, let the poor guy have a bicycle. 99, Full Metal Jacket. Whoa. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. 98, The Hunt. Stupid lying five-year-olds. 97, Citizen Kane. Richest man in the world yearns to be poor again. 96, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Aren't breakups just the worst? 95, Capernaum. Lebanese I accuse my parents is way better than ours. 94, Dungal. Amir Khan goes serious to teach girls to wrestle. 93, M. Even criminals can't stand child killers. 92, Requiem for a Dream. Seriously, don't do heroin, kids. 91, Vertigo. Don't force your S.O. to cosplay as your dead one? 90. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Well, that sure was a pretty looking two and a half hours. 89. Goodwill Hunting. The moral of the story, go to therapy. 88. 1917. The best part is the cinematography. 87. Inglorious Bastards. Still waiting on those Nazi scalps. 86. Reservoir Dogs. Honestly, I don't think Tarantino does better than this. 85. Star Wars Episode VI, Return of the Jedi. Silly ending to an otherwise great trilogy. 84. Amadeus. Mozart's such a wild and crazy guy. 83. Like Stars on Earth. Please stop abusing the neurodivergent. The Musical. 82. Anand. Cancer is the worst. 81. High and Low. Yeesh, who knew Japanese business was so cutthroat? 80. Toy Story. Good writing helps us excuse rapidly aging CGI. 79. Three Idiots. Animal House, if it also addressed systemic issues in education. 78. Das Boot. Krieg. Huh. Wofür ist der gut zu absolut gar nichts? 77. Braveheart. Movies are great when you don't adhere to actual history. 76. American Beauty. This casting is sadly fitting in uh, retrospect. 75. Coco. Pixar put the sad part at the end this time. 74. 
Your name. Japanese, the lake house is weird, man. 73, aliens. Another reason why corporations can't be trusted. 72, once upon a time in America. This is why you don't go into business with friends. 71, Avengers Endgame. Three-hour heist movie ends with the best battle scene ever. 70, The Dark Knight Rises. Stupid ending to an otherwise great trilogy. 69, Witness for the Prosecution. Witness the suspense of British legal proceedings. 68, Old Boy. Revenge makes you do some crazy, disgusting things. 67, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Still a preferable timeline to our own. 66, Princess Mononoke. Humans suck, but can't we all just get along? 65, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, Sony, you can hold on to Spidey for now. 64, Sunset Boulevard. I'm ready for my straight jacket, Mr. DeMille. 63, Wall-E. A serious environmental message made better by cute robots. 62, Avengers Infinity War. Honestly, still better than Endgame and my favorite MCU film. 61, The Shining. Kinda silly to watch now. Uh, also, Kubrick's an asshole. 60, Paths of Glory. Stanley Kubrick presents A Few Good Frenchmen. 59, Django Unchained. Tarantino uses black cast to excuse excessive use of N-word. 58, The Lives of Others. Every attempt to undermine an authoritarian regime is worth doing. 57, The Great Dictator. Chaplin takes down the man who stole his mustache. 56, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Lucas and Spielberg do Alan Quartermain better than Alan Quartermain. 55, Memento. The concept is more interesting than the movie. 54, Joker. Please stop giving douchey white guys new idols. 53, Apocalypse Now. So crazy to make, the documentary is just as good. 52, Alien. Even in the future, the working class gets screwed over. 51, Cinema Paradiso. Man, I miss going to movie theaters. 50, Rear Window. If you're wheelchair bound, might as well solve a murder. 49, Casablanca. ABFN. Always be fighting Nazis. 48, Grave of the Fireflies. Like the opening of Up for a whole movie. 47, Once Upon a Time in the West. Kind of like every Western movie rolled into one. 46, The Prestige. Welcome to the cutthroat world of 19th century stage magic. 45, Whiplash. Douchebag music student tolerates abusive teacher because reasons. 44, the Untouchables. Wow, this is so much better without Kevin Hart. 43, The Departed. Dropkick Murphy's music intensifies. 42, City Lights. The things we do for love. 41, Gladiator. So historically inaccurate, it made the advisors quit. 40, Psycho. <laughs> Mama's boys, am I right? 49, Modern Times. Life sucks, but it's better with someone you love. 38, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Good sequel that randomly becomes 90s kids movie. 37, Back to the Future. Please don't time travel and bang your family members. 36, American History X. Neo-Nazis stop hating black people after meeting one. 35, The Pianist. The Atrocities of the Holocaust, presented by a child rapist. 34, The Lion King. I still prefer the remake. Sorry, not sorry. 33, Harakiri. Samurai Clan tells everyone to go kill themselves. 32, The Usual Suspects. Two pederasts bring you an overwritten neo-noir movie. 31, Leon the Professional. Feels like everyone's ripped this off at some point. 30, Interstellar. 2001, but the fifth element was love. 29, The Green Mile. The quintessential magical Negro movie. 28, Spirited Away. Japanese Alice in Wonderland is weird, y'all. 27, Parasite. Looks like the rich is back on the menu, boys. 26, Saving Private Ryan. Spielberg presents what every future WW2 media will emulate. 25, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Some timeline has Lucas's Flash Gordon instead of this. 24, It's a Wonderful Life. Your good deeds will be remembered. Also eat the rich. 
23, The Silence of the Lambs. Man, the transphobia makes this hard to rewatch. 22, City of God. Americans learn Rio de Janeiro is more than a beachfront. 21, Life is Beautiful. Five words. Academy Award winner Roberto Benigni. 27. Would it be preferable if Spacey was a murderer? 19. Seven Samurai. The inspiration for an equally great movie, A Bug's Life. 18. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Please tell me mental health treatment has gotten better. 17. Goodfellas. Hi, diddle dee a gangster's life for me. 16. The Matrix, the quintessential goth cyberpunk story about gender transition. 15. The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Yeah, this middle part's my least favorite, too. 14. Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Still the best Star Wars movie. 13. Inception. <laughs> it was just a dream. Or was it? 12. Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks photobombs history while pretending to be mentally challenged. 11. Fight Club. Too many stupid people think they're Tyler Durden. 10. The Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. It's all downhill from here, Mr. Frodo. 9. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Perfect conclusion to the No Name Trilogy. 8. Pulp Fiction. What's this anything like actual pulp magazines? 7. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. The movie Endgame's SO tells it not to worry about. 6. Schindler's List. Great movie, Spielberg. Please don't make me watch it again. 5. Twelve Angry Men. Really powerful drama that ignores how juries actually work. 4. The Dark Knight. Still the only superhero movie people take seriously. 3. The Godfather Part 2. See, not every sequel has to suck, Hollywood. 2. The Godfather. Coppola made us a movie we couldn't refuse to like. 1. The Shawshank Redemption. I mean, duh, can you think of a better movie? And there you have it. The current IMDb Top 200 Rated Movies in 10 Words or Less. Oh boy, this took a lot. Like, this took the better part of two weeks... And my initial plan was to actually watch the ones I hadn't seen. <laughs> like, I'd seen about half, if not over half, of the movies on this list at some point. So some I wanted to rewatch, get my new get some new opinions on, and then it came down to the point where like I had to use use a VPN to get Netflix and Prime in other countries, and then it's just like, oh god, it was the, the hassle to try and watch all of these movies. And then it was only, I then only had two weeks! So, even, so then I decided, okay, look, I'll watch the trailers, I'll watch clips, I'll get a basic idea, and then I'll read through the Wikipedia article and kind of summarize it in a way, in case I haven't missed, and then hopefully at some point I can watch it down the line. Oh my god, it was just, even just doing that took way longer than I had expected. Oh my god, this, this, by the time I'm recording this, this episode should have been out already. It took me so long to finally compile this whole project. Oh yeah, I need, I, you'd think after all the other times I had great ideas that completely fell apart because I didn't get, I didn't have enough time to actually work on them. I would plan better, but, ah, well, nobody's nerfed. So, yeah, that was 200 episodes of the Popcorn Junkie podcast. And, um, I think that about does it for the, uh, this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. You can keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out there uh, by whitelisting us your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. Check out all of our other fine programming there. We've got Dungeons & Dragon types living, living in the stacks and on a bit of a soft hiatus, uh, but uh, we're going to try and get those micro features out to you. Now that I don't have this to deal with anymore i'm gonna try and get some more reading done and um 
get some episodes out there. Uh, you can also check out uh, Once More with Feeling, be, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business, all of Donna's stuff at the Snarkcast. And if you're a podcaster yourself and you'd like to join our fledgling little network, give us an email at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You can also check out this podcast on your various podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. And uh, if you're wherever you're listening, leave a five-star rating review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also uh, share us on social media. Our social media home is Facebook.com slash PopcornJunkie, as well as um, Twitter at CornJunkiePod. Letterboxd.com is where I'm cataloging a lot of the stuff I've been reviewing for the show. You can check out my reviews there. Uh, Letterboxd.com, uh, uh, username CornJunkiePod. I, it's hopefully at some point I can get freaking Stardust up and running, but if you want to see all my old, uh, reactions on Stardust, you can do so, uh, at Stardust, look up Popcorn Junkie, uh, Instagram.com slash Popcorn Junkie Podcast, uh, if you want to follow me there, I'm not very active on Instagram, I, I think trying to add a photo to every post is just very, not my style, so, yeah, well, it's a placeholder if nothing else, and then, uh, once again, if you can support the show on Patreon, as little as $1 a month. I know times are tough. I'm not asking you to donate a lot. Uh, but if you can donate as little as $1 a month, I can start taking your suggestions for stuff to review. If I can get enough listeners, I can start start up those series again. If you want, I can bring some of those series to the main feed. Uh, the Much Along, I probably cannot, give, given that it's kind of... Um, very rift tracksy, very dangerous sort of legal basis sort of thing. Uh, I would rather keep that uh, patron exclusive. And then if there's any ideas you want me to do with the show, even, I would love to hear your thoughts. And, uh, you know, and once again, there's no tier list. It's everybody is welcome. I didn't, I decided against tier lists uh, inspira- inspired by uh, Jim Sterling. He, he kind of did away with the tier system himself. And I wanted to try and follow in that same vein, especially since I don't really have any patrons besides my good buddy Mar. And if you want to join them and suggest content for the show as well as support the show, little as $1 a month, um, you can do so at patreon.com slash popcorn junkies. There's also links to um, Pinecast. The, my host allows for like a tip jar as well. You can do it through that. Uh, so yeah, and then of course you can always send me messages at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com or contact me on social media if you want to kind of com- you know connect with me about everything that happened. You know, what did you think of my ten words or less thing? Um, I was very much you know shoutouts to Brendan Blaber over at Jello Apocalypse for kind of inspiring this monstrosity. So uh, yeah, go, go, go check out his stuff as well. Um, I think that about covers it. So. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and we'll see if we can pump out another 200 episodes of this. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of their music. Last thing I want to say is, it goes without saying, that Black Lives Matter. One sixty three, the sixth sense. One sixty three, the sixth sense, the sixth sense. One sixty three, the sixth sense. One sixty three, the sixth sense, the sixth sense.